This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. My name is Shelly. I'm the children's pastor here at Gateway, and I get to speak today. I know, right? I did find it rather funny that they had the pregnant mom speak on Mother's Day, isn't it? No, actually, it's not true. I actually told Tom I was going to speak today, not even realizing it was Mother's Day, because I told him a long time ago, like, hey, there's a story in Judges. If, like, that ever pops up in our sermon series, like, I want that one. It's one of my, my favorite Bible stories ever. But I just wanted to warn you, Baby's kicking a lot right now, really enjoyed worship. Um, so if all of a sudden I just spasm, I'm, I'm telling you, I think our son is going to be born with like steel-toed boots or something. Like he just like gets my spleen. I don't even know how, but if all of a sudden I just, you know, it's okay. I'll just take a breath and we'll move on. It'll be just fine. It'll be great. Yes, well, happy Mother's Day to all the, the moms out there, and thank you for being here today, and thank you for those of you who your kids are in children's ministry. We love to love on them, and normally I'm over in kids' church, or I'm over um, holding babies in the nursery. I love doing that as well, but I'm here with you guys today, and so like I said, Today, we are continuing our series called Don't Judge Me. It's all about the book of Judges. And this story from Judges is one of my top three favorite stories in the Bible. You see, I'm a children's pastor, and so there are certain stories in the Bible that the kids in children's ministry gravitate to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love it because I'll I'll, I'll speak on somebody like Ehud. Thank you. Somebody knows Ehud. <laughs> I'll speak on Ehud, who was a judge uh, who ended up impaling uh, a king who was very um, robust, shall we say, and the sword went all the way. Anyway, um, kids love that one. Uh, they love this story of King Saul who had to use the restroom in the cave, um, and Dave, David snuck in there and, like, you know, tore a piece of his robe. Um, they enjoy... Um, Well, our story today is actually one of their favorites as well. And so today we are talking about the judge, Deborah, and the commander of the Israelite army, Barak. But then there's a really cool person in our story that I just love, and her name is J.L. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. If you haven't heard of J.L., you're going to hear the story of her today, of her courage, of her fearlessness. But I have a little story about J.L. Um, So... (laughs) When I was in my early 20s, let's say, uh, and I was, I was a children's pastor then, I had just come into ministry, and um, I, I, I had gone to school, most of my classes were a bunch of guys in the class with me. You have to learn to adapt, you know, when you're like a woman, you're working with all these guys, and so if you cry, it's kind of like, why is she being so weird? And so <laughs> I found that over time, I began to kind of like, struggle like oh man if a kid was crying because God was touching their heart I would just bawl like that's fine but just like just to cry like I kind of struggled with that and so um I didn't appreciate women's conferences during that time I went to one and all the ladies around me were crying and I was very confused at why they were crying and so uh, I went to a pastoral conference and they're like hey we're gonna do a breakout for all the female ministers I'm like great So I walk into this room, it's a little luncheon, and they've got tables. 
you know, okay, I can do this. There's tables, I'll find a table, I'll sit at the table. So I sit down, lovely women sitting at the table with me. And then the, the lady gets up front, she starts talking, gives instructions and says, now you have a table leader. Something that I struggle with, you know, you go to a women's ministry, we can't just talk, like there has to be a table leader, right? Like there has to be somebody who's like leading all the questions. I'm like, okay, I can do this, I can do this. And then the lady says, oh, I'm gonna stop talking the rest of the time you're talking in your groups. Perfect, okay, you can do this. You can do this, they're just like you, everything's great. So our table leader starts to talk and she says, hey, uh, we're gonna talk about some things today, but we're gonna start out by saying our name, where we're from, what we do, and who our favorite Bible character is. I'm like, yes, okay, we got this. First lady, name where she works, crying. <laughs> My God, Lord Jesus, I can do this. I don't even remember what it was. Something about where she was serving was very difficult. She started crying. I felt for her. I'm like, yes, I feel you, sister. Okay, good. Second lady gets through the whole thing. I'm like, we're doing awesome. This is great. I love this group. This is going to be awesome. Third lady, name, location, what she does, crying. Okay. Fourth woman gets all the way to the Bible character, starts crying. By the way, Every single woman had named a female in the Bible as their favorite Bible character. I'm kind of picking this up, right? So it comes to me, and I said my name, what I did, where I was from. And then I said, oh, my favorite Bible character is Jonah. To which I heard a gasp. I said, yeah, it's Jonah, because everybody thinks he's this, like, jolly guy who, like, went to Nineveh, and the whole time he's, like, complaining and telling God he's wrong, and in the end, God's like, well, it's because I'm God and you're not, and that's how Jonah ends. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> and so I love how he's just, like, fails time and time again, right? And God's just like, I'm still using you, but, like, here's the line. And I kind of explained that, and, the, and the, the group leader says, oh, dear. It's like the bless your heart kind of a thing, right? <laughs> oh, dear. And I said, yes. She goes, you know, as a female minister, your favorite Bible character should really be a woman. And I was like, okay. She goes, do you need time to think about that? <laughs> so if you know me at all, I'm like, oh, challenge accepted, right? So I said, uh, sure. She goes, well, we'll circle back to you at the end. I said, oh, great. Thank you. So I'm sitting there, people are talking, people are crying, you know, like the whole thing. And so a few more people go, and then she comes back, Shelly, are you ready to share? Oh, yes, ma'am, I am. I've got one. My favorite Bible character is JL. They're saying Mary, Esther, you know, all these wonder, wonderful women in the Bible. I said, JL, that one lady who didn't cry, we had been making eyes the whole time, right? Like, she looks at me, and she busts up laughing. And I was like, you're my girl. You're my girl in this group. You're my girl. She starts laughing. And the lady's like, oh, how nice. So finally, one woman goes, I'm sorry. I don't think I've heard of JL. I said, oh, let me just give you a brief description. Israel was fighting Sisera's army, the Canaanites. Uh, Sisera flees. He flees into JL's tent. She takes a hammer and a tent peg, and she just drives it through his skull, <laughs> killing him. And Jaws dropped. 
And she goes, well, I don't think we need to hear any more about that. She goes, I think we're good. I said, I think we're good as well. And then we continued on with the lunch. So Jael quickly became one of my favorite Bible characters, just based on that. That story alone had meaning. But the story in itself, like I said, Deborah was the judge over Israel. Deborah is a female name, right? She was the only female judge, and she was the prophetess. So she was the prophet and the judge over Israel, which has huge significance for me, serving in ministry, a woman. So the story is very deep and wide. It brings a lot of humor, but at the same time, it has a lot of meaning, and we're going to dig into that in a moment. So much so that... um, Per some prompting a little bit, maybe from Tom, I ended up getting a tattoo of a hammer and a tent peg on my arm, my only tattoo. So if you ever see this, you're not like, somebody, you know, was like, oh, I thought that was like, you know, Jesus, the cross and everything. I was like, nah, it's jail. Like driving a tent peg through a guy's head, no big deal. It's fine. So I tried to hide, you know, just a little bit into a nice X, but that's a hammer and a tent peg if you ever wanted to know. So to get into our story today, Judges 4 and 5. We're going to get a little context going here in Judges 4 and 5. So uh, the last few weeks we've been uh, talking through this series, and especially last week, uh, Tom and Josiah, they were talking about kind of this cycle where the Israelites would walk away from God, and then they would kind of, uh, God would raise a judge up, and then like they would conquer the army that was over them, and then they would fall away from God, and this cycle happens. So this is what's going on in Judges. All of Judges is pretty much this story of complete failure over and over again. So it's called the cycle of apostasy. And the cycle of apostasy, we find it elsewhere in the Bible as well, but specifically in Judges, we have number one, we have Israel commits a sin, right? So they're serving God. Everything's great. Usually what happened is they started forgetting all the miracles of God. They started forgetting who was their, their one and only. They stopped serving God. And in some way they began to sin, whether it was through disobedience, whether it was through half obeying, like we're going to do that part, but not this part, whatever it is, they'd start to sin. And then God would allow Israel to be oppressed. And then after that, Israel They would repent and they'd cry out to God, God, why is this happening to us? We need your help. We can't do this on our own. And then God sends a judge to deliver Israel. And then Israel's faithful for a while um, while that judge lives. And then the transition happens and it happens again and again. So in Judges 4 and 5, right before we get to our story, this thing has already happened a few times in Judges. And at this point in time, Ehud was right before, one of my other favorite guys, right? And so, you know, the whole thing happened. Israel committed a sin. God allowed Israel to be oppressed. So after Ehud and stuff, now we see the Canaanites coming in. And now they're oppressing Israel. And Israel is now crying out for help. And that's kind of where the story starts at today. Israel would serve God. Everything would be great. They would forget who God was, and they would just continually slip into this cycle. In fact, the last verse of Judges, it closes by saying, in Judges 21, 25, it actually says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That kind of encapsulates Judges, right? 
We did things in our own eyes. Because of that, it caused us to whirl repeatedly in this cycle. So before Deborah enters, the Mesopotamians, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, and the Philistines all had gone through and had gone through that cycle and captured Israel. A judge was raised up. God would free them, and then it would start all over again. So when the story begins, the Israelites had been in the control of the Canaanite king Jabin for about 20 years. So we're going to read the first part of how uh, Judges 4 starts. So Judges 4, 1 through 10. And it says this. And the people of Israel again, notice that, again, again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in the Herosheth, Haigoyim. I'm always horrible with that name. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. The significance of the 900 chariots is that the Israelites did not have that. So it was something that they could rush in with the speed that the Israelites did not have. They were armored, and they could just destroy. So when you see 900 chariots of iron, they were a beefed up army. That's basically what it means. They are very beefed up. This would be a very, very difficult army to beat. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the tree, um, the tree palm of Deborah, the tree palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinanam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hands. It seems fairly simple, right? It seems very simple. God, through Deborah, tells Barak, the commander of the Israelite army, hey, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go out, you're going to meet him, but I'm going to defeat the army. And he sounds pretty straightforward. But put yourself in Barak's place for just a moment. A little fearful, right? We're going out against this army that can just obliterate us. And I have Deborah, the prophetess, telling me I'm supposed to go in. I'm a little bit nervous. So we know that he becomes a little bit nervous. So this, this is what happens. Um, Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead you to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So because of his nervousness, because of his fear, says, she says, yeah, I'm going to go with you. But the Lord says, you're not going to get the credit for this. A woman is. So Barak with Deborah, they led the Israelite army against Sisera and the Canaanite army. And God did a miracle. God caused it to just rain buckets. Okay, so remember, 900 chariots, right? That was the scary thing. Buckets of water, no paved roads. 
all of the chariots got stuck. And the Canaanites began to scramble. So much so that Sisera was like, I'm out. And he takes off, um, like totally just running away from the situation. He knows that his army is going to get destroyed by the Israelites. And so he goes and he decides to go into the, the tent of, of Heber. It was a guy who he knew had an alliance with his king. And so he goes and he hides into the tent and he meets up with Jael. And she's like, come on in. Welcomes him right into the tent. She gives him something to eat. She gives him a blanket. Oh, you must be so tired. You've been in battle. Lay here and rest. She had ulterior motives. <laughs> and so this is what we see happens. So in Judges 4, 17 through 21, uh, this is what happens next. So, but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the, the, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazor and the house of Heber, the, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. And she said, and he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink. I mean, if you want to put somebody into a deep sleep, give them milk, right? Not just water and give him a drink. And she covered him and then said to her, you know, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes near and asks you, is anyone here? Just say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him. I'm like a guy probably wrote this, right? Like, <laughs> she went softly. All right. I'm like, she snuck up, right? Softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was laying fast. While he was laying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. I love that last part. So he died. So what ends up happening is we see Barak arrive, right? And he finds his nemesis completely dead. And kind of the glory and the honor of the battle is actually given to Jael. Fear caused Barak to react. React, he pulled back the minute God commanded him to walk out in confidence. And because of this, God chose to honor someone else for the battle. Jael, who was willing to step out and kill Sisera. She wasn't part of the Israelites. She wasn't with them. But she felt led. And she stepped out and she walked in faith. And she did what God had commanded her. I love this quote by Billy Graham. It says, fear can paralyze us and keep us from believing God and stepping out in faith. The devil loves a fearful Christian. Isn't that right? When we're in fear, we act like Barak. It's just our natural, the natural way that we are, and we kind of take a step back. Now, Barak did end up going into battle, but he brought Deborah with him because he was so unsure. So the devil loves it when we're like, Oh, but wait, when something hard comes into our life, when we know we're supposed to do something that takes courage and we take a step back and go, oh, wait, hold on. He loves that because that gives him more time and more opportunity to just like pierce us with lies and doubt and all the things. So today what we're talking about is how do we combat fear? There's a lot of ways that we can combat fear, but kind of based on the story that we read today, 
What are some things that we can learn to combat fear? And the first is we can combat fear with Ebenezer's. Not the guy from, the, you know, the Christmas story. His name actually came from somewhere, which is very interesting. But um, the question underneath this, we'll talk about Ebenezer's in a moment, but why did Barak fear? And I think the number one thing, and it's a huge theme in all of Judges, is that why did Barak fear? He forgot what God had already done. He forgot the history of time and time and time again. I mean, Red Sea opening up anyone? Out of Egypt? All the miracles God had done, Israelites kept forgetting what God had done. And right before the time of Judges, you know, the Israelites are coming out of captivity in Egypt. They're being led by Moses. Joshua takes over to take them into the promised land. There's a lot of battles. And in one particular one, you know, they needed a miracle. And they needed to cross the Jordan River. And God stopped the flow of the Jordan River so the Israelites could walk through. But God did a really interesting thing. He told Joshua, I want you to take one person, the head of each of the 12 tribes, go get a huge rock, walk into the center of the dry riverbed, and I want you to post all 12 of those rocks. And then they all left. The priests walked through everything. Water closes. And what do you see coming out of the middle of the river? That would be impossible to be there unless it had been stopped were these stones and God said I want you to do this so that you remember what I have done that I am faithful that I came through God knew that we as humans we would forget because when we face fear it's kind of like everything blanks so one way that we can combat fear is with Ebenezer's later we see in Samuel right in between judges and the kings we see that the Israelites are in another battle, and God steps in and does a huge miracle. And God actually instructs Samuel, build an Ebenezer. And what Ebenezer means is Ebenezer stone means stone of help. So I want you to build this altar. I want you to build this thing. So not just when you walk by, when every generation after you walks by, they remember this story. They remember that God helped so there was a lot of these moments where God said, put this here so you can remember, even before the time of Deborah and Barak and Jael. And one of the things is, Barak forgot about God's faithfulness. In 1 Samuel 7, 12, it was named the Ebenezer Stone, which means the stone of help, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. And this continued to be a tradition. Even so... Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is instructing his disciples to eat this bread and drink this cup. Why? Do this in remembrance of me. So even communion, which we do today, is meant to help us go back and never forget what Jesus has done. In our lives, we can look back and we can say, this is where God did a miracle. This is where he helped me. I went through this really tough thing or I was really afraid and this is what God did. And a lot of times we forget that. When we remember what God has done, we remember who is in control. So when we face the next thing, we go, God had us last time. 
he can have us this time, and he's going to have us this time. No matter what comes, I know that he's in control. A great idea that, that somebody at a, a church that I was growing up in, actually, um, he has long since passed, but what I thought it was really cool is he said, well, in the back of my Bible, those are those like extra pages that just have, are blank. They have nothing on them. He would write Ebenezer moments in his life, and he would date it, and he would state what God would do. When he passed, he passed that to his grandchildren. What a cool thing to be passed, because it's not just about your stories of faith, but other people's stories of faith. What a gift. Not only did he pass on the word of God, but when they opened it to the back, it was filled with over a hundred moments where God provided with dates, names, and what God had done. And they were like, we remember most of these stories, but we had forgotten them because we were told when we were five years old. And they made photocopies, and every single grandkid got each of the stories. What a testimony of God's faith. So the second thing we can do is we can combat fear with the word of God. Deborah was a, a prophetess, and so it's not like Barak had a Bible in his back pocket. So he's like, Deborah, come with me, because now I have the confidence that this is the word from the Lord. And here's three things about the word of God. The, the word of God guides us. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We can combat fear with the word of God, because it helps guide us so we know where we're supposed to go. It's, it's God's love letter to us of, hey, this is, this is how you should live. This, if you are in a difficult situation, here's a story from the past. Here's how I'm guiding you and directing you. Point number two for combating fear with the word. The word is an active weapon. It's active. It's actually both defensive and offensive. Okay, the armor of God. We have a lot of defensive weapons. Breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shield of faith. These are all defensive. Do you know which one is offensive? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Because not only can we defend with it, we can also, when Satan comes at us and tries to attack us, we can attack right back using scripture, using the actual words of God. So Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's double-edged. Why? Because it's defensive and it's offensive. The word is an active weapon. Jesus himself quoted scripture to defend, to defend off Satan for those 40 days in the desert. Even Jesus used the word of God as his weapon. And then the last part of com, com, um, combating fear with the word of God is the, wo the word is a seed that grows abundant life. In Matthew 13, 1 through 23, we hear this, the story of a farmer going out and sowing seeds, and some landed on rocks, on a hard path, and some in fertile soil. And the ones that weren't, weren't on good soil, they either got picked away by birds, got scalded by the sun, and they didn't produce anything. But when our lives are fertile and we read the word of God, it grows in us. It grows our faith. It grows our strength. It grows our confidence. We get to know God more. And the more we know God, when we face fear, we're like, but we serve a God that, and we can rattle off all the things that God is. 
It's a seed and it's living. And if we water it and we continue to read the word of God, we memorize his scripture, we know that it's going to guide us. It's an active weapon and it's going to grow within us and it's going to build us and form us and shape us. The last way that we can combat fear is we can combat fear with faith. So we remember the things from the past that God has done. We use the word of God as an active, defensive, offensive weapon. And then we can combat fear with faith. Like, hey, we've read the word of God. We know that he's come through. Actually, now I need to take a step. Like one little step. Barak, they stood out. He and Deborah walked out and they walked in faith. And they walked out onto that battlefield. And God did a miracle because they walked out and they were obedient to him. Even though Barak's faith was a little bit shaken, he still took that very vital step of faith. Max Lucado in his book, Fearless, Imagine Your Life Without Fear, he said, feed your fears and your faith will starve. Feed your faith and your fears will. What are we, fe- what are we feeding? When those thoughts of fear come in, I can just imagine Barak like, okay, but they have 900 chariots. Okay, they are a brutal army. They are unrelenting. Do those thoughts hit when there's something that God's asking you to do that is big or great or fearful or there's a time in your life where you're unsure of the future? Those thoughts start flooding. And do we feed those thoughts and those fears or do we feed our faith instead? Here's just three verses, just really quick. There's so many in the Bible that talk about stepping out in faith because of who God is. So 1 John 4.4, 4, Romans 8.31, Exodus 14.14. 14. I mean, here it is. Greater is he that, that is in you than he that is in the world. Next one. If God is for us, who can be against us? Next one. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. When we know the word of God, the truth, the next best thing is to trust. And I absolutely like the, love this quote from Corey Tenboom. If you don't know who Corey Tenboom is, please look her up. She's one of my favorite people to listen to. She's long since passed, but they actually have video of her speaking. She was put in a Nazi, Nazi concentration camp. Her whole family died. Her faith is incredible because she's, there's a lot of Ebenezer's in her life and she knows the word of God and she's willing to fight for what God has for her and for others. And she says this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. A lot of our fear is based out of the unknown and our loss of control. Great, we have a God who's in control. Taking the active step of faith begins crumbling the walls of fear. And there are many things in life that bring fear billowing into our lives, some big, some small, some compounding. And the enemy knows that the chinks in our armor, he knows where they are. And one of the greatest things he used to distract us and to not obey God is to to pierce us and try to get us to be afraid. Barak, we get it. You were fearful. He says, don't judge me. I was afraid. I, I can just hear him saying that. We get it. We all get fearful. But what what do we do when we meet up with fear? We combat fear with the three things. There's many more things, but 
These are three things that were in the life of Barak in this story. Ebenezer's, what has God done? What are points that you can say, yes, this is where God was my help? The word, which is both defensive and offensive, being in the word, knowing God, knowing what he says, so that that word is helping you to discern what is a truth from Satan or a lie from Satan and a truth that God has given you. And the last one was by faith, taking that step, feeding our faith instead of feeding our fears. So maybe today you need to build an Ebenezer. One idea is I, I once had a jar and I was just struggling and I started every time I thought of a way that God provided or that he came in and did a miracle because sometimes we go right through life so fast we forget to re, like even go back and thank God for the things that he's done. And I'd write those down, I'd fold them and I'd put them in the jar. And then when, when I was just having a rough day, I would open them and I would just take them out slip by slip and start reading the things that God has done. Another thing is take someone else out for coffee. Someone that you know has Ebenezer's in their life. They might be in the generation above you. That's why I absolutely love multi-generational churches. I love when different generations are working like in children's ministry because they're like, hey, hear this story of God's faithfulness in my life. It's not just your Ebenezer. Somebody else's too can really affect you. Saying, I've been through this and this is where God was faithful. Maybe today you need to engross yourself in the word of God in scripture so that you are ready for whatever attack comes your way. Or maybe you need to take an active step in faith. You're like, I know that God is faithful. I know the word of God. I just need to take that first step. So we're going to watch just a little, we're going to hear a snippet of a song that the past few months has just kind of been on repeat for me. And it's, it's all about this concept of remembering what God has done so that we can like let go of our fear and let God take control. And while this is going on, it's just a snippet of the song. It's not the whole thing. I want you to take a moment and think about this. What part of my combat do I need to reinforce? Do I need to remember? Do I need to be in the word of God? Do I need to just take a step of faith? And I want you to just take a moment and pray and ask God to help you with that. So let's listen to this song. so weak got this weight upon my chest and I can't stop forgetting my God you've never left you're right here with me still I'm convinced you're hiding oh God would you remind me that you're still just as good as when I met you you're still just as kind, don't let me forget that you're still the same God, led me through the fire, you're still
don't let 